You're listening to Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, the best podcast on the internet, done by my dad. Hosted by me, Sean Engel. Thank you, everyone, for coming back. If this, if this is your first time listening to the show, thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. The concept of this podcast is pretty simple. The Green Lantern comics that came out in the 1990s are kind of disregarded right now. With the new DC Universe, basically all the adventures that happened during this series are kind of thrown to the wayside. These, unfortunately, are some of my favorite comics of all time. And what I'm trying to do with this podcast is to give a few folks out there an idea of why these comics are so important, why I really enjoy them, and basically shine a spotlight on the comics themselves, as well as two of the characters who came out of the comics, one Mr. Guy Gardner and one Kyle Rayner, who I think are some of the most imaginative, interesting, and fun characters out there in comic bookdom right now. Unfortunately, in the new DC Universe, these characters have been kind of relegated to second-string stories and not really given the spotlight that I feel that they deserve. So, with this podcast, I'm going to be doing my best to make a case for these two underrated characters and try and shine a spotlight on them that hasn't really been placed on them for a while. In upcoming episodes, once Guy Gardner finally leaves the Green Lantern title, I'll be covering the Guy Gardner solo series as well, which I found to be a really fun series and something that, you know, doesn't really happen in DC anymore. It's a, it's a series that I don't think would get published in the DC universe right now because it had a comic feel. It had a sense of adventure and fun with it, and it took itself not as seriously. And comics today could really take a bit of advice from these comics because... They really don't seem to have that sense of fun and wonder that drew me in as a reader, and I would think would draw other people in. Grim and Gritty is alright. Superheroes fighting each other to bloody battles and people getting ripped in half and the undead coming back. It's, It's all well and good, but sometimes you just want a fun story 
where you can watch a ridiculous superhero with a Mo Howard haircut fly off into space with his bipedal oversized companion. With that said, I don't want to understate the importance of Kyle Rayner as Green Lantern either. He came into the spotlight at a really difficult turning point for the Green Lantern books. Hal Jordan had just gone crazy, and at the time, while he wasn't inhabited by the Entity, he was considered to be the character of Parallax. Sorry folks, spoilers, this comic is 20 years old, you know. Because of Hal's lust for power, and eventually for the fact that he was inhabited by an Entity of Fear, thanks for the retcon, Jeff Johns, the final remaining Green Lantern ring was bestowed upon an unwitting, unsuspecting Earthman, Kyle Rayner. This was really cool for two reasons. The first being was Kyle was just someone that was picked out of the blue. He wasn't gone, he didn't go through the traditional selection process that most Green Lanterns go through of being chosen by the ring as being fearless and able to have great willpower and the knowledge to create these amazing constructs from his mind. He was just some poor schmo who was coming out of a bar late at night who happened to run into a small blue alien who gave him the most powerful weapon in the universe. Secondly, and probably most importantly, was Kyle became a legacy character. Back in the 1990s, the DC Universe was really big on having legacy characters. Two of them, the most important ones, are Kyle Rayner as Green Lantern and Wally West as The Flash. These two characters took on the mantle of their predecessors, did their best to try and carry on that legacy, but also went on to forge their own legacy themselves. Since Wally had the added benefit of being Kid Flash for the longest time, Kyle really had his work cut out for him in being Green Lantern. I mean, no one knew what his skills were, no one knew if he could actually do what a Green Lantern needed to do, and as I hope to show you during the course of this show, Kyle stepped up to the plate and actually became a Green Lantern in his own right, who accomplished things on his own that even made some of the things that Hal Jordan during his career look small and insignificant. That being said, I'm not trying to diminish the importance of the other characters in the Green Lantern Corps, specifically Hal Jordan and Jon Stewart, but this podcast isn't about them. They're going to be characters that are going to be focused on, especially for the first 50 issues of this book, but my main character focus wants to be on these two characters. They haven't seemed to have gotten the right amount of respect over the past, oh, decade or so, and I think it's time that they get their own, and I'm going to try and be the person to bring it to you. But now on to a little housekeeping. I would like to apologize for the first show. Well, not really apologize for it, because I'm proud of how it turned out. But I will admit, listening to it myself, and myself being the biggest critic of myself, and could I really state that in any more of an awkward way? I will admit, I'm not the best extemporaneous speaker. In fact, speaking alone in a room by myself about even something that I really enjoy is kind of difficult. Sometimes I may come off a bit stilted, sometimes I may come off a bit dry, and for that I apologize. I would just ask you, hopefully, to stay with me, and hopefully eventually I'll get this podcasting thing down, and it'll come out more stream of consciousness, and I'll actually be a bit more entertaining. 
I'm hoping you're finding the reviews entertaining. And also, I'd like to apologize. Last episode, I meant to cover the ads in the comic book because I found something in the comic book that I think rivals the Hostess Twinkie ads from the 1970s and 1980s. Unfortunately, well, I guess fortunately for you, I'm going to go back and read the ad from issue one and continue on until the episodes of this are done. Unfortunately, the ad in issue one of Green Lantern is not the first issue of the comic ad. So, if there is anyone out there who's listening to the show and you hear the ad and you know where I can find the first ad of that, please email me at the podcast website at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. If you've got a scan of it, I would love to read it on the show and do a little dramatic representation of it. But for now, I'm going to give you a break from my voice and let you listen to the voice of some other podcasters. Some podcasters I think that you should be listening to, because they are awesome. The dawn of an age. The founding of a family. You know we haven't done enough research into the effects of cosmic rays. We've got to take that chance. Conditions are right tonight. Let's go. They're penetrating the ship. Our shielding isn't strong enough. I feel like I'm burning up. Too heavy. Can't move. Too heavy. We're all alive. I feel so strange. You're fading away. I can't see you at all anymore. Look what's happened to you. You are changing. Oh, Reed, not you too. What happened to me? To all of us. I can fly. We gotta use that power to help mankind, right? And so was born the Fantastic Four. Or soon the mole man will have the entire world in his power. I am the mightiest living mortal on Earth. And in half, mankind shall feel that's might. The Fantastic Four. With a debate dream, there are palms in the hands. The Human Torch will be the Puppet Master's next victim. You Earthlings can't change the way I can. That means I'm the most powerful person on Earth. I've been expecting you, for I am the Thinker. I vow never to return, my lord, until the Fantastic Four are no more, and the Phantom is no more. You're in the presence of the awesome Ralatons, King of Kings, Master of Men. And Lord of the Seven Sons. Fool, you're just a muscular freak. Blind or fool. Stop! You must not enter the castle of Diablo. My journey is ended. I shall sustain the drain of all elemental life. So speak the latter. Flame on! It's clobbering time! The Fantastic Four from the very beginning witnessed the origins of a legend. The Fantasticast, ffcast.libsyn.com December 7th, Earth 2, 1941, a world very much like our own, yet slightly different, a date which will live in infamy, a world at war, the United States of America, was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. Following the Japanese sneak attack on Pearl Harbor, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt 
brought together the largest group of mystery men ever assembled to battle the Axis powers. Tales of the Justice Society of America presents The All-Star Squadron. The Tales of the Justice Society of America, every Friday at twotruefreaks.lipson.com. Mondays. Available the second Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.libson.com Attention, people of Earth. Do not resist us. All who oppose us shall be annihilated. We command the most powerful army of monsters in the universe. They are sure to defeat your Earth monsters. All those who are hearing this are now under the control of the Earth. Destruction directed, 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 directed. Hey, you! Yes, you! Hearing this message. Do you like podcasts? Well, evidently you do because you're listening to one right now. Do you like giant monsters? Of course you do! Who doesn't like giant monsters? Well, then, have I got the show for you? Earth Destruction Directive 
is the newest Daikaiju podcast on the internet. And we talk about all your old favorites, like Godzilla, Rodan, King Ghidorah, and Gamera, but also lesser-known monsters, like Gappa, Yangari, and Giawa. We cover everything from movies to comic books to video games, and we're kicking it old school. This is breaking news. We are receiving word that Earth's Destruction Directive is now a part of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. Listeners are advised to stay in their homes and listen to all of the fine quality podcasts on the Two True Freaks Podcast Network, available at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. We now return you to your regularly scheduled broadcast. Wait a minute. Is this true? Earth's Destruction Directive is now on the Two True Freaks Network? You bet your oxygen destroyer it is. So if you love atomic-powered, fire-breathing, hardcore, giant monster action, then head on over to twotruefreaks.libson.com and check out Earth Destruction Directive. We're turning all of your daikaiju dreams into city-smashing reality. And welcome back, folks. I hope you enjoyed those promos. I threw some new ones in from last week. And uh, these are all shows that I listen to. I hope that you'd give them a listen to and give those uh, podcasts some love. All these people I really consider to be, well, if not my acquaintances, definitely my friends over the internet. I like their shows, and I think, for the most part, if you're listening to this, you're going to like their shows too. So, well, let's go ahead and get on with the coverage of the comic book, starting now. Green Lantern number two was cover dated July 1990. The cover price was $1 US, $1.25 Canadian, and 50p UK. The writer was Gerard Jones. The penciler was Pat Broderick. The anchor was Bruce Patterson. Letterer Albert de Guzman. The colorist was Anthony Tolan. The assistant editor was Kevin Dooley. And the editor was Andy Helfer. The title of the book was The Pursuit of Happiness. We open on a splash page of a very Fonzie-looking Hal Jordan questioning a couple of fishermen about a job. The captain asks Hal about his past and if he had any run-ins with the law. Hal says he's dealt with those problems long ago, and the captain hires him to set sail on the Northwestern with Sig Hansen and the rest of the crew for a nine-week run to catch Alaska king crab in the... Oh, wait. That doesn't sound Meanwhile, Guy Gardner sits alone in a chair at the JLI headquarters, finishing off a six-pack while a French-made construct massages his shoulders. Still irked at Howe's attitude about not wanting to be a Green Lantern, Guy storms off to take in the quote-unquote finer things of the pre-Giuliani New York City, such as hookers, porn, and tattoos. While getting ready to get some patriotic ink done, Guy recognizes the tattoo artist as the Tattooed Man, a Silver Age foe of Green Lantern who, like Blackhand before him, has found legitimate work in the seedier parts of New York City. Guy demands he show him how his tattoos work, but the Tattooed Man refuses and Guy storms off, again irked that he can't get a rise out of anyone. The Tattooed Man heads to the roof of his building and unleashes a tattoo of his dream house with his mom waiting at the door. Of course, Guy is right there with the construct of a filthy, filthy whore. And the Fighty McFightenstein begins. Copyright 2011, Andrew Leyland. Tattooed Man summons a tattoo of an eagle and chases Guy off to parts unknown. 
Meanwhile, Hal is pulling in pods of crab onto the boat while having to listen to the one hippie more hippie than Green Arrow. Clay introduces himself as a man who follows the dead. Hal, ever the square, doesn't get that this means the Jerry Garcia helm band and jaunty banter abounds. While Hal is getting a contact high from standing too close to Clay, Guy is luring the tattooed man, who is now in a schooner, replete with an armed cannon, closer and closer to his intended target. Having finished his work aboard the boat, and being incredibly hungry for some strange reason, Hal heads to the local diner to score some grub. After getting his food from the overly attentive female cashier, ladies, Hal is confronted once again by Clay, informing him that meat is murder. Telling Clay that he thinks Morrissey's a pretentious douche, Hal decks Clay and... Uh, oh, wait, no. That's what I wanted to happen. Hal informs Clay that he has a different opinion than Clay and is willing to take moral responsibility for his actions. Clay, who is obviously stoned out of his gourd, forgets his proselytizing and chows down at Hal's chicken dinner because morals go out the window when you've got the munchies. Before Hal can ask Clay to get his oily, resin-soaked fingers off his chicocopia, his ring starts beeping, signaling the presence of Guy Gardner. Clay comments on Hal's righteous jewelry, man, and Hal runs off to confront the approaching Guy. On Oa, John Stewart examines the dead body of a person known as Priest, who is left to keep the last remaining guardian company. The Guardian, known as the Old Timer, tells John that since the other Guardians left, he has missed the mine union that they have shared. But he tried to get the priest to join him in the union, but he wouldn't, because he believed the Old Timer had gone insane. Realizing that the proverbial shit has hit the fan, John zips away from the cave only to have the Old Timer appear all floaty head style, and he drains his ring of power. Back on Earth, Hal confronts Guy for following him, just as the tattooed man shoots a ship anchor into Hal's chest, knocking him back into the diner where a still-buzzing clay trips out over Hal's heavy levitation gig. Hal blasts back into battle, but instead of taking out the tattooed man, he cold-cocks Guy, creates a water spout with his ring, and tells Guy to finish the tattooed man off. Hal lands and offers to repair the damage that Guy caused, but is greeted by the captain, who says they don't need any superheroes around these parts. It seems that Clay babbled about Hal's secret identity while coming down from his wicked, wicked high. Hal forgives him, and the Incredible Hulk's sad walking music swells as Hal heads down the road again. As the story ends, we see that Guy has left a beaten, tattooed man face down on the beach. Dejected by the defeat, the tattooed man walks down the shore, only to come across a shanty, just like the dream house on his tattoo. Immediately after, he is approached by the captain of the crab boat, who just, quote-unquote, lost a man, and is looking for a new employee. Seeing that this is the life that he had always dreamt about, the tattooed man happily agrees. In the distance, a scowling Hal Jordan walks slowly away, thinking to himself that two times he had a place where he could settle down and not have to be a Green Lantern, and both times they were wrecked by Guy Gardner. Angrily, he thinks to himself, Don't cross my path again, Guy Gardner. 
just don't cross my path. Okay, that was a really fun tale. I really enjoyed that even with all the goofy pot references that I made in it. I mean, I'm sorry, I just enjoy making fun of hippies. They're fun to laugh at. But let's go ahead and head to the notes. Let's start with the cover, which is a really neat cover of what I've got to assume is a very pre-Giuliani New York City. You can see just tons of uh, porn shop and bars and the like. And also you see some denizens of New York City. A lot of them look like they just walked out of the Warriors. And uh, the cover features a giant red, very oriental-looking dragon just knocking the crap out of Guy Gardner. And that seems to be a running theme for a lot of the covers for these early part of the uh, Green Lantern series, is Guy Gardner getting tossed on his butt for a while. My only slight nitpick would be this is one of those covers that's really deceptive. Nowhere in the comic, in any of the panels, does Guy Gardner fight a giant red oriental-looking dragon. So, minor quibble, but, you know, there it is. Let's move on to page one. We've got the title, Pursuit of Happiness, as I said before, which, looking at the page now, you can kind of see that it might have been residual bong smoke that coalesced into the title because Clay was featured prominently on the splash page. Also, page one, Yeah, Hal really looks like a sort of white-streaked Fonzie on this page. It's kind of silly. Page three, panel one, we get our first shot of Guy Gardner for this comic, and it looks like he's had a few. He's pretty unshaven. Now, one of the things Pat Broderick does with the art in this work is he does a lot of characters that are very, well, for a better lack of a better term, hirsute. People are hairy. People have a bunch of facial hair. He has kind of a scratchy drawing style to him, and this kind of works to determine when people are haggard or when people might have had a few. So Guy is sitting in his throne room, I guess. And by throne room, no, I don't need bathroom. I'm meaning his room where he has sort of a throne for himself. And you can see it's littered with some... Oh, what kind of beer is this? Shockingly enough, it's not named, but weirdly, it looks like it kind of has the Pepsi red dot symbol on it. So it's Pepsi beer. It's here we get the first glimpses of Guy's sort of, well, not really inferiority complex, but Guy's hang-up of why he's always, you know, razzing Hal and trying to get his goat. Because Guy doesn't feel that he's appreciated as much as Hal. This is something that we'll examine later on in the comics, and probably a lot more when we get to the Guy Gardner solo series. Page 4, panel 2. Ah, the good old days, where you had to walk into a seedy, dark, sticky-floored, really creepy porn shop to get your porn. Now it's the wonderful internet age. God bless it all. But some of the titles here are just hilarious. One of the ones that Guy's looking at is 
New Age, New Age Floozies Part 9, which he says he sure hopes it's good as the first eight. And if you look in there for the uh, people who like the MILFs, there's the Old Age Floozies, and it looks like it's volume, oh, I can't see here, maybe six? So, obviously, porn hasn't advanced that much since the 1990s, so there you go. Page five, like Blackhand before him in the Justice League comic, Guy runs into another retired-slash-reformed criminal. Thankfully, though, this one doesn't go on to become the Avatar of Death and kill, oh, let's say millions of people on planet Earth and resurrect horrible beings to mentally torture the Green Lantern Corps and basically cause havoc across the Earth. Page 10, I'm betting all the fishermen on the boat are really thankful for the smell of crabs and dead fish, which are probably covering up the horrible, awful stench of patchouli coming off clay here. Clay is really an unconscionable hippie character that's really goddamn ridiculous. Uh, let me read to you uh, one of his lines, and let me see if I can do it justice. Those crabs, man. They're just like humankind, you know. They're always running sideways, thinking they're getting somewhere. And when they think they found a safe place, it's a cage, man. It's a cage. <sighs> well, I guess it's a step up from good old Oliver Queen, but at least this time he doesn't have to worry about, you know, his ward, you know, shooting up heroin. Page 11, it looks like we've got some problems with geography. Guy is luring the uh, the tattooed man, presumably from New York City, to where Hal is. Now, I'm assuming that Hal is now on the Pacific Northwest, or at least that's what we can assume. And instead of being carried by the eagle, the tattooed man is following Guy in a schooner that he's powering with a tattoo of his own gale force winds. And in one of the descriptive panels, Guy says... You know, like I'm hoping, or all I'm hoping is that you last about another thousand miles. Now, if Guy came from New York City and the tattooed man is following in a boat, is he following him completely around the Atlantic, through the Panama Canal, all the way up the the west coast of Mexico to California? The uh, The geography just doesn't work here. It's just a little nitpick of mine. But I think it'll be resolved in a few issues or so. Page 12, panel 2. Another shot of Hal Jordan, Dr. Love. Man, every lady in this comic is just going cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs over Hal. And then, of course, same page, panels 5 and 6. We get a run-in with Clay spouting some pretentious crap about Nita's murder and how Hal should take responsibility for his actions and blah blah blah. It's a really stereotypically stupid bunch of polemic, you know, being foisted on by a really what I found to be unlikable hippie character. And then of course page thirteen, panel one, the unlikable hippie character completely forgets what he was saying about me being murder and chows down on Hal's without asking or paying for it or anything. God Clay is obnoxious. Now we get to pages 14 through 16, and we get a little cutaway to John being on Oa. I have no idea who this priest guy is. I would probably suggest that you check out the Green Lantern's Light podcast. I think they're going to be covering the issues that lead up to this, and they'll probably 
once I get into the uh, Green Lantern Core series, we'll probably be covering this. Uh, obviously, I haven't done my research on this priest guy, but he is dead, and the Guardian, the old-timer, has obviously killed him. This is a really good, like I said, this is a really good setup for what's coming in these next few issues, and it is just an awesome story that sets up the rest of the ongoing story in the Green Lantern books for oh, almost a year to come. Page 18, panel 1. Uh, Hal crashes into the diner that Clay was eating at. Clay just totally freaks out. I, I hate to keep harping on him, but, you know, he's really an annoying character and doesn't really add much to the story. Plus, hippie smell. Page 20, panel 3. You've got the uh, captain of the boat confronting Hal after everything's gone down, going... Oh, we don't need no superheroes in this town. We got enough trouble with hurricanes and taxes and damn colored people and they took our jobs. Yeah, it's it's a horrible, it's another horrible stereotype. But, you know, after Clay being the token hippie, they might as well have the token right-wing stereotype in there as well. And page 22, we get a nice resolution to the tattooed man story. You know, even though Guy basically was goading him on to get Hal to try and be a Green Lantern again, in the own, and I hate to use the word, karmic way, he kind of did end up helping out the uh, Tattooed Man, and it was a nice little story element that helped close out this chapter of the book. Well, that's all I've got for notes. Uh, Really like this issue. A good character-developing issue for Guy also expands upon the idea of how wanting to try and find his own way rather than being a Green Lantern. It also expands upon the story with Jon Stewart and what's going on with the, what's going on on Oa, which is going to culminate in the next few issues to that awesome story that's going to basically bring the core back and set up the series ongoing from there. Okay, well, now I'm going to get to uh, something I didn't do in the first episode... I'm going to take a look at some of the ads in the comic because, like I said about at the beginning of this, there is an ad in here that I think rivals the old Hostess Twinkies ad. So on the front cover, we've got a Game Boy ad for a game called Quirk. Looks like a weird maze game with basically the uh, like the 7-up seven, uh, spot with sunglasses and spiky green hair. Obviously, it wasn't a big seller, because I do not remember it at all. We've got an ad for the Double Dragon game. All these are pretty much for the Nintendo Entertainment System. Then, of course, another video game ad for Bionic Commando. Experience the power of a one-man army. Ah, okay, whatever. Some new monster compendiums for uh, the Advanced Dungeons & Dragon systems. Uh, one of these, I'm pretty certain I played, the Dragonlance module. Uh, that tells you what kind of a nerd I was, so there you go. There's my geek cred for the show. Another video game ad here for Phantom Fighter. Get bigger kicks fighting phantoms. Uh, this this looks like a really, really great uh, game because they don't even show any game... They don't even show any images from the game. But it does have over 100 ghosts, dialogue, and password memory. If that's not enough to sell you on the game, I don't know what is. Then, of course, we've got an ad on the next page. Awesome one. Warren Beatty and Shadows holding the Tommy gun. 
June 15th everywhere. It's for the Dick Tracy movie. Now, it doesn't say anything about Dick Tracy, but the iconography is just awesome. This is a great movie. I enjoyed it when it came out. It was a fun movie. And initially, I don't think it lived up to the hype. I mean, it was sort of compared to the uh, 1989 Batman film. But all in all, it's a good movie. Well, if you ignore the fact that Madonna was in it. You've got your Ultimate Game Club, where for $10 for a year or $25 for three years, you can get games for Nintendo, TurboGrafx, Atari, or Sega Genesis. Um, uh, You've got your Great Eastern Convention, which actually has, well, it looks like most of them are on the East Coast, so there you go. You've got your uh, page ad with Hercules size arms and a Batwing water blaster, and here's one that I really love, the Wad-O-Do. Yeah, use that for whatever you will. Back page, we've got an ad for the most worthless game system of, well, pretty much all time. It's It's an advertisement for the very sad Atari 7800. Basically, the the Super Nintendo to the Nintendo for the Atari 2600. Unfortunately, no one bought this. It had obnoxious... Well, I'll take that back. I had a friend who bought it, but it had obnoxious controllers. It didn't have really the games that anyone wanted, and it came out around the time that Atari video game systems were just dying off. Nintendo and Sega were taking the forefront, and the PS3 was soon... Or the not the PS3, but the PlayStation was soon to come. And finally, back page, we've got two Mega Nintendo ads, or two Mega Nintendo games, Super C, the uh, sequel to Contra, and Snake's Revenge, which I guess might be the premiere of Solid Snake from the Metal Gear Solid uh, games in... And it's first form, so that's that's kind of interesting. But the one ad that I wanted to get to, and that I didn't get to in the last issue, was the Capri Sun ad. Now, let me set this up. I don't have issue, or I don't have part one of the <laughs> the series of ads that are in these comics. But I do, like I said, I do think that these are hilarious. Let me see the setup. It's these three kids, a blonde kid, what looks like to be an Asian girl, and a younger boy, who are following this chimpanzee through the jungle on adventures. So let's set it up. We'll start with The Adventure Part 2, Diamonds Are For Never. The first kid says, We're still too near the river to gather the foliage specimens Dr. Stanley needs. And the girl says, Neil... The ape is pointing to a trail. What should we do? The kid replies in the next panel, Harry Harry's. That's the name of the ape. Harry Harry's been helpful so far. Let's follow him. After all, this is his neighborhood. And the girl replies, Maybe he knows where we can call a taxi. (laughs) Comedy. Dora, look, an ancient temple. It must be centuries old. It's not mentioned on the map which means we probably won't be bothered by souvenir vendors. Harry, and the next panel we got. Harry Harry isn't much of a tour guide. This place gives me the creeps. Look at this eerie glow. It's coming from that giant statue. The next panel. Neil, look at that fantastic sparkle. Wow. 
and a diamond zit. And Harry Harry's heading right to it. He's going to give us a treasure. A treasure-filled zit. <laughs> then, obviously, Harry Harry, being a monkey, just flings it down like his own crap and says, and the girl says, some treasure, it was glass. But, of course, Harry Harry is far more intelligent than the kids, and he goes, look, that's where Harry Harry stores the real treasure. Then we get the final panels. Harry, you sure know how the perfect time to pause for Capri Sun fruit drink commercial. And you see all the kids grabbing their Capri Suns and laughing. And then the next panel is, the adventure continues. Watch for part three in Rapids Transit. Okay, folks, hold on to your pants because you know it's going to get better in the second one. Here we go. The second, or the second issue, or actually the third part of this, Capri Sun 100% Natural presents The Adventure Part 3, Rapids Transit. And we've got this opening panel of the three kids from the cave saying, uh, they're standing in front of like a river rapids. And the girl's saying, the map says there's a high flat plain a few miles north of here, but we've got to get across these rapids. And the older kid says, forget it, too risky. The girl said, next panel, the girl says, We can't give up now, Neil. We're so close to the plant specimens that Dr. Stanley needs. And the older kid says, I wonder if this raft has one more round trip left on it. And it looks like a tied-together sort of bamboo log raft. So, of course, the adventurous kids, you know, climb on the raft and start paddling down the river. The older kid says, The current's too strong. I can't control the raft. And the girl mentions... What's that loud rumbling noise? Well, obviously, it's a giant waterfall. And the next panel, the kid goes, Does that answer your question? As it looks like they're about to be tossed over the edge of the waterfall. But, of course, they make a last-minute break, and the next panel, you see them going, Quick, grab these vines! They all grab hold of each other and hold on to these vines and swing to safety. And then the next panel, we've got the girl saying, That was fast thinking, Paul. And the little kid says, Ah, it's just something I learned from Harry Harry. And look, here comes Harry Harry now. And you get to see the ape coming by again with some more Capri Sun. Good old Harry. He's always got a fresh supply of Capri Sun Safari Punch. And the final panel says, The adventure continues. Watch for part four. Egging some poachers. Okay, I hope I did that justice, because the ridiculousness of, you know, these three kids wandering through basically what I'm going to figure out is, like, a South American jungle being told by some inept scientist father, figure, whatever, to go out and find some plants, and their only assistance is a monkey who has a Jones for Capri Sun. It's bizarre and twisted, but I loves it. Well, that is about it for this issue. I'm going to call it a wrap for this time. I'm also going to mention something I didn't mention last time. 
These comics so far have been reprinted in the uh, trade paperback Green Lantern The Road Back. So if you don't have these single issues and you want to go follow along with me, you can go pick that up at your local Amazon website. Uh, I'd suggest going through the Two True Freaks link. Two True Freaks link. Or you can go by your local comic book retailer and see if you can find one. Thanks everyone for listening. I uh, hope you have a great week and we'll check you back here next time. Bye. You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted by yours truly, Sean Ingle. All images, stories, and music are copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the denizens of the internet that comic books can be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting, while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to know it. All feedback to the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguyspodcast.gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcomed. All spam bots are warmly welcomed too, as long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. The website address for the show can be found at justoneoftheguys, all one word, dot at libsyn, spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. There you can find the RSS feed, as well as scans of the covers and whatever else I feel like putting up. You can search for me on Facebook. I mean, you won't find me there because I don't have an account there, but if you have enough free time to listen to me babble on about funny book characters, you can obviously spare some time to wander around on Facebook. And I am also on iTunes, so check me out there if you have an Apple product. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next time for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. The opening soundtrack to this week's show is Tattoos, All the Things She Said, Headbangers Remix, by Blakes. That's spelled B-L-I-I-X. Check him out on YouTube, and check out all the rest of his fine remixes. There's some headbanging fun. And I want to personally thank him for allowing me to use his song in my show.